Let's do it up big. Let's shout out to the world. Our children that have gone astray have finally come home to roost. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. Today on Schmaltzy, a bonus Passover tale. Since Passover has two seders, and it's our second Passover in a global pandemic, we only thought it right to have two Passover episodes. If you haven't listened to last week's illuminating story with author Jake Cohen, definitely give it a go. It's got mother-son drama, role-playing with scallions, and a take on brisket that I think you need to hear. Today's story comes to us from Harriet Skidelsky. Harriet is a tried-and-true New Yorker, a mother, and a political activist who does not cook. We'll talk more about Harriet's unique ways around a stovetop, but first... Listen in as Harriet tells her story during a special Nasty Women edition of Schmaltzy at the 14th Street Y in Manhattan's East Village. It wasn't until I was 38 years old that I hosted my very first Seder ever. Before that, the man I was married to was not Jewish. So I was disconnected from my family, and it was, as a Holocaust survivor child, I was a big disappointment, and it was pretty sad. I was absent at all the Jewish holidays and all the celebrations, but then at 38, I remarried, and I married a Jewish man, and I was able to participate in all the family gatherings and all the holidays and make my way back into the tribe. And I figured, what better way to get back into the tribe than to host my very own first Seder? And I was going to make it perfect, absolutely perfect. The preparations, the presentation, the meal. Uh, Now, did I mention that I don't cook. I don't like to cook. For me, the kitchen is foreign territory. In fact, even today, I use my oven as storage. So the real cook in my family is my mother. She's a gospodina, which means balabusta in Romanian. She's a terrific cook. But that day, day of my first Seder, she was on the Lower East Side working in her Schmata's shop that she opened on Orchard Street while I was on the Upper East Side in my new husband's apartment, this great two-bedroom rent-stabilized apartment on the Upper East Side, which probably had a lot to do with why I buried him. (laughs) And she could not be there to physically do the cooking. So instead, she sent over Elena who is our longtime family friend, who knew every single one of my mother's recipes, who was the only one my mother had entrusted with her recipes, especially and most importantly, my mother's soup. So just for a little background, 
for years I had been hearing the story of how poor my mother was growing up in Romania and how her mother could only feed her growing family by adding more water to the soup each time another kid was born. So by the time my mother, the last of 10 children, was born, you can imagine how watered down that soup was. So my mother was not going to have watered-down soup. Her soup was truly very robust, which was great. So Aleta came over that day, and she was in my apartment. She was cooking, preparing everything. I was busy cleaning, setting the table, setting the stage for my Seder audition. Of course, every 10 minutes, my mother was calling me from downtown, wanting to make sure everything was okay. She was checking up on me, checking up on Elena, checking up on me, checking up on Elena. Don't worry, Mom, everything's great, and the soup smells delicious. So everything's prepared, everything's done. Elena had to leave, so she goes. His family arrives, my family arrives, and I have to say it's going pretty well. Everybody seems to be chatting it up. There's a very pleasant atmosphere, and so then we all sit down to eat. And to plug my mother's soup, I make sure to tell everybody, don't fill up on the gefilte fish or the chopped liver. You've got to leave yourself enough room for my mother's soup because it's absolutely amazing. It's her signature recipe that started in Romania, went to Israel, and ended up in America. Okay? Great soup. (laughs) It's time I go into the kitchen. I scoop up the matzo balls, ladle in the soup, pass the bowls around the table, And seemingly in unison, everybody brings the spoon up to their lips and takes the first sip of soup. And I immediately know there's something terribly, terribly wrong. Can the Seder be saved? We'll find out in just a bit. Right now, we've got Harriet with us in the studio. Hi, Harriet. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Clearly, there was a lot riding on this soup and the night, as you call it, your Seder audition. That's right. Did you feel like you were auditioning for a place back in your family? I was auditioning for a place back in my family, for a place in my then-husband's family, and just All the history that had transpired before that had to now be removed by this one night. And there was a lot of pressure on me in that respect. In your story, you mention that you're a child of Holocaust survivors, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And that your choice to marry outside of your religion was extremely disappointing to them. It was even disappointing to me. Hmm. It was not what I knew growing up. It was just a given that I would marry within my faith. So when you chose to marry someone who wasn't Jewish, 
to what extent were you ostracized from your family? You didn't go to holidays. What was your relationship like with your family? I was living two separate lives. I was living a life with my husband at the time, and then I would have some contact with my family without him. It was when I was with my family, it was as if I were still single. There was no coming together of the the two families. There was no uh, acceptance. It just, it it wasn't. It didn't exist. The marriage did not exist. Were there specific conversations growing up in your family, like around interfaith marriage? When we came to this country, we uh, ended up living in a one-room apartment, literally one room, in I believe it was Woodside, Queens. And uh, my I was not in school yet. My sister went to school, and it was a non-Jewish community. And my sister came home one day. There had been a, a little fair at school for Mother's Day. And she came home. She had a dollar. That was enormous amount of money to be given a child to, to buy something at the school fair, and she came home with a cross, a necklace for my mother. That was her gift. And not understanding what that cross meant, my sister didn't really think anything of it, but my mother was very upset. And at that point, she realized we had to move into a Jewish community. And not that there was any malice towards anyone not of our faith, but we had to uh, stay in the tribe. So it was a huge decision that you made to marry someone that wasn't Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> what was your, th- how did you think about that when you were preparing I, to enter into that marriage? I actually did not expect to marry him. It was always, well, I'll be with him and live with him until I made a Jewish man, <laughs> but you know, I got the the ultimate ultimatum: we either get married or we split up. So that marriage ended, yeah. and then you married a new man. It was someone who was Jewish. Correct. Was that a relief? Oh, for sure, absolutely. Not just for myself, but for him as well. We we shared history in that his first wife was not Jewish. His family did not accept that marriage, and uh, it was very stressful. We we both grew up with the thought in the back of our minds, well, it's just, it's a given. We're going to marry someone that's Jewish and have a Jewish children and a Jewish, Jewish family and continue life the way we, we've always known it to be. So it was a tremendous relief. And your families welcomed you back immediately? Instantaneously. Didn't miss a beat. Oh, he's Jewish. Oh, she's Jewish. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, it's fantastic. It's terrific. What can we do for you? Let's have a big engagement party. Let's have a big wedding. Let's do it up big. Let's shout out to the world. Our children that have gone astray have finally come home to roost. All right. So here we are. You're back in the fold. You're excited to host your very first Seder. Why was 
this soup so important? So much revolved around food in, in my household as I was growing up. And even the way we ate our food was always distinct from a lot of families. But the soup was really so important to my mother that it trickled down to to me. And why was the soup so important to her? What was her journey with the soup? Her journey was she wanted a good bowl of soup. <laughs> she grew up with some pretty watered-down soup her entire life, and it and the recollection of the poverty that she had felt growing up and being the last of 10 children and and the difficulty don't have to understand during during the war uh they did not have really that much food they they would struggle to find even sometimes rotten fruit to eat you know my my mother was the youngest so most of the older children had already left the home but it was just her and her mother so they were extremely close and my mother felt um felt the need to take care of her mother which she did from the time she was very very young and uh, escaping romania with my mother and there're just so many stories of what she did my mother to protect her family and and the trials and tribulations so coming to america reaching a, a certain level of uh, economic success and and stability and the ability to provide for her family and to offer them the best and offering the best part of that was really good soup and the recipe started in romania started in romania i'm i would imagine that my grandmother made a very good soup when she could but after my mother left romania with her mother they escaped they crossed borders they ended up in in dp camps displaced persons camps and so there was no opportunity to really cook but eventually they all made it to israel my mother had met my father in one of the dp camps so i heard the story many times many times over i loved hearing the story of how they they met my mother and my father and my father was um actually he was with the joint which if you know anything about it was sort of like a a resistance an underground resistance but he was working he his job at that particular moment in time was handing out chocolate to the children in the in the camp and my mother who was i believe 15 years old at the time possibly 16 but i think i think she was 16 by then got online because she wanted a chocolate bar and he said you are too old to get this chocolate and she said no i'm not i'm not too old and he acquiesced and of course he saw her fell in love and gave her the chocolate bar and and her you know her whole family was like oh this guy is a real don juan stay away from him and she's like are you kidding as long as i can get my chocolate bars i'm not going anywhere <laughs> so that's actually how they met 
in, though, in that time, people didn't stay in a camp okay. for years and years. They would stay maybe a few months and then go to another camp and, you know, go travel around. So they went all over Europe. They were in, in Germany and in Switzerland and in Italy and then made their way to Israel. Essentially, if you had stayed married to your first husband, there never would have been another opportunity to make the soup, to share it, to preserve it. The soup did survive uh, a Holocaust, and and then it survived my mother in the DP camps and in Israel and survived uh, poverty. So it, it was, as you say, a very important legacy of perseverance also. You have to be a certain type of person to persevere under so many tragic circumstances. Your mom sounds like an incredibly tough and resilient woman. Oh, she is to this day. Well, I love how you describe your mom as a gospodina, which is Romanian for balabusta. Yeah. Which I understand to mean like the ultimate domestic goddess and, and host. Is that oh, how yeah. you would describe yeah. Yeah. Ogospadina, and is that how you would Absolute, describe your mom? Absolutely. Even to this day, if she's giving me a snack, she's 90 years old, and she's giving me a snack in her apartment, she she puts a nice tablecloth and, and mat underneath the plate with the, the knife and the fork and the napkins and the whole bit. And this, I mean, ma, it's a snack. So let's head back to Harriet's story and Seder table and see what happened with that very questionable soup. I turn and I look at my sister, who's got the salt in one hand and the pepper in the other hand and shaking them feverishly into the soup to give it some flavor. I turn to face my mother, who, if looks could kill, I would not be standing here tonight telling you this story. Meanwhile, I look at my new in-laws who are like, yeah, this is great soup. You have got to give us the recipe. They couldn't get that spoon in their mouth fast enough. I know you're probably thinking that they were just being polite. They were not being polite. They really meant it, which made me worry more about what kind of a white bread family I had just married into instead of worrying about the soup. But I was worried about both. Finally, the Seder is over. I'm sort of happy that it's over, but I knew that when my in-laws left, the Inquisition would begin. (laughs) My mother switched over to Romanian, so my husband wouldn't understand. What happened What did you do? What didn't you do? The soup was terrible. To say that it was bland is generous. It was tasteless. I don't know. Next thing I know, she calls me into the kitchen. I could tell by her tone of voice I was in real trouble. Go into the kitchen and she points, says, is this what you served? I said, yeah, the matzo balls and the soup. She lifts 
lid from a pot, this other pot that I hadn't even noticed on the stove. And it's full of chicken and carrots and, I don't know, stuff. And she says, that's the soup. You served the water used to boil the matzo balls. Oops. But, you know, when I think back on that night, my mother saw it as a catastrophe. For me, it was a huge success. I was back. My family was together again. They were criticizing me. They were second-guessing me. They were telling me all the things I was doing wrong. I was in. My family was together. I mean, what's family for if not that? I thought that that night I'd be starting a new tradition, that tradition of serving my mother's soup at every Seder. But instead I started a new tradition of retelling the failed matzo ball soup story at every Passover. (laughs) Oh, wait, P.S. The story lasted longer than the marriage. Harriet, (laughs) thank you so much for sharing this incredible Passover story with us. It was really fun. I I still enjoy hearing it. And my family still enjoys hearing it at every Seder. You're going to plan on retelling it this year? Oh, of course. It's a tradition. Okay. We're going into our second year of celebrating Passover in a global pandemic. Do you think that there is any silver lining for you personally that has happened over the past year when we've been in these really challenging circumstances? Well, now you're getting a little personal. <laughs> well, Harriet, we're here. I mean, this is the Schmaltzy podcast. I mean, if I can reveal to you all the the skeletons that have already been have already fallen out of my closet, uh, now this past year. Obviously, it's been traumatic in in too many ways, and uh, there's been huge loss. And uh, but there's also been some huge gain for me. And I um, I didn't really meet uh, someone who I am now involved with because we work together pre-pandemic. So we sort of found each other, found each other's company sort of reassuring and and meaningful during and after. So uh, who knows, three times the charm, as they say. I'm giving it a try. I'm lucky in that respect. Will you be having a Seder this year for Passover? I personally will not be hosting a Seder. My family will be doing a Zoom Seder, but I have been invited to 
his family's house because mostly, you know, I've been vaccinated, he's been vaccinated, and they are in his bubble, so I will likely go to his uh, his daughter's house for Passover for Seder. That's wonderful. And help wash the dishes. Well, Harriet, thank you so much for sharing your story and being with us. I hope you have a happy and safe Passover. Thank you, and, and to you as well. And I hope everybody stays healthy and and keep, you know, keep it up. It's a little bit longer, but it's important to wear your mask. To our listeners all around the world, we are sending best wishes for a Passover filled with optimism and hope. As we gather around the Seder table in a few days to retell our story of resilience and perseverance, I know we will have the strength to overcome these challenging obstacles we are still facing. Stay safe and healthy out there, and happy Passover. Be sure to check out the recipe for Harriet's mom's matzo ball soup on our Jewish Food Society digital archive at jewishfoodsociety.org. Just a quick reminder, we want to hear from you. Send us your favorite Jewish food story in 30 seconds or less. Just record a voice memo right on your phone and email it to hi at jewishfoodsociety.org. Maybe you'll get a cameo on a future episode. Schmaltzy is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in New York City. Also, we're still sort of new around here. Be sure to subscribe and rate us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show. Schmaltzy is produced and edited by Freetime Media. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Until next time, I'm your host, Amanda Dell.